Uh, welcome to Connection Point, and welcome to all who join us online. I'm Pastor Zach, showing us service lead pastors here. So glad you're here today. So how about them Boilermakers? Hey, if you're a coach or player with us today, hats off to you. Congratulations. If you're visiting from Ohio, I trust you came forward for prayer this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's terrible. Jesus loves you too. <laughs> oh man, what a great game. Holy cow. And thanks for coming to church when, uh, you know, it goes pretty late, right? Uh, and I, you know, some people are here for first service too. Like you never know on those nights. So it was, it was a good thing. All right. So anybody here ever gone on a field trip with kindergartners? Anybody had that privilege? Wow. Look at all those hands. Good for you. It's basically like you're taking a bunch of five and six year old uh, kids on trips their own parents don't want to take them on, you know? <laughs> It is an awesome time, though. I love that I get to go with my kids on their field trips. So this last week, uh, our youngest, who's in kindergarten, uh, went to a farm where he got to do, you know, go to the pumpkin patch, do a hayride, and and lots of fun other games. And and so one of those was you could go through a corn maze. So we were walking back that way, and I had my group of of five and six-year-olds, and and I bumped into another parent who asked me, he's like, hey, uh, do you have a map for the maze? I said, no, no, I don't. He's like, would you like one? Sure. So, a bit of advice, if you're going to take kids to a corn maze, take a map. <laughs> like, I looked at that, it was huge. I mean, like, there were sections that were four miles in length. Like, that's, you don't do that with five and six-year-olds. That's, <laughs> so thankfully, the map showed me, here's the kindergarten section, you know, go less than a mile. So, <laughs> that was really, really good advice. So, you know, we started in this maze, and I let them, you know, lead the way. Hey, it's your turn, pick which way we're going, pick which way we're going. But at some point, we took a turn that led us to, it was like the emergency exit route or something. I didn't realize, so the way they built the corn maze is they had this, you know, road that was, you know, you know carved out of the, the corn that basically, it's probably for those, like, you've been lost in here for hours and somehow you bumbled into the straight path out, you know, that's, that's probably what that is. But that was kind of cool to see that, you know, so if you get lost in a corn maze, just keep walking, hopefully you find the emergency exit route. Um, but it was, it was neat. So we, you know, finished going through the maze and had, had a great day. It was, it was fun. A great day with kindergartners. But how many have ever felt like life can be a bit maze-like? Like you've, you're going, okay, which, which direction? You're, you take course con- corrections, you, you take a new job, it moves you to a new city, it, you know, and all the while you're hoping at the end you land where you wanted to. But you're not necessarily sure. But wouldn't it be nice... If we could just find that straight emergency exit route that ensures you're going to get to where you want to go, wouldn't it be nice to find that? Okay. So you're bumping through life. You're not really sure where you're going. Wouldn't it be nice to find the straight path out? Yes. Okay. If you want to bump around like a Roomba robot vacuum, feel free to keep doing that. You know, you do have that choice. But Jesus, and as we continue our series in Luke today, he gives us a passage of scripture that shows us that path. He shows us the path that ensures as we go through life that we can wind up at the end exactly where we want to. And so I don't want us to miss that today as as we continue in in Luke chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I hope you've got a Bible today. We say that because we want you in God's word. Uh, We don't want it just on a Sunday morning. I hope the only scripture you hear isn't just here on a Sunday morning. I hope that you're allowing God's word to invade your life. So if you don't have a Bible today, you'll have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, and you're welcome to take that as a gift from the church if you don't have one at home. 
Uh, But I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We just simply want to highlight that these are God's words to us, and so they should bear weight in our soul. And so we like to recognize those differently. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So Jesus here. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at that door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. These are the very words of God. may be seated this morning. So where we left off in Luke a couple of weeks ago is Luke chapter 13. It was a message on receive the kingdom that we have this incredible opportunity to receive the kingdom of God, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and what we find in the passage is, is where we're at in Luke is Jesus has left Galilee in the north. He's traveling down toward Jerusalem to face the cross. And, and we have these passages and episodes where we're seeing how, how Jesus instructs the disciples. He heals people. He's ministering with people. And, and so last week, he stopped off in a synagogue. And while he's there, he encounters a woman who's been disabled for 18 years. And so the first point was that we receive the kingdom and we can be set free. Receive the kingdom and be set free. That's what he did for this woman. It's amazing that Jesus comes, if you've got anxiousness and, and, and your soul is just kind of bound up, he's come so that you can be set free. You can receive the kingdom and, and experience that. But also what happens is not everyone in that passage was happy that woman was healed. The synagogue ruler who was there, he, he gets upset. And he tells people, you know, basically don't come here on the Sabbath for healing. And, but then Jesus rebukes them, corrects them. And, and we walk through that passage to see how that happens. So what we found is we can receive the kingdom and be set free. And if we don't, we might be corrected. We might be rebuked. And, but there's a reason that God does that. It's because what he wants of our lives, if we're off course in some way, is he wants the kingdom of God to grow in our lives. Uh, Jesus gives a parable where he shows that the kingdom grows. And so what that looks like in an application is either in your heart, the kingdom of God is growing, which is a love for God, a love for others. And that takes on different forms in how we express love to others. Or what we looked at is we looked back in another chapter, chapter 12, where Jesus says, the leaven of the Pharisees, beware the leaven of the Pharisees growing in you, which is hypocrisy, which is to not love others. And so the question a couple of weeks ago was, what's growing in you? Is a love for God and others? Is that what's growing in you, or is a lack of love for others growing in you? We're meant to examine our hearts, and because Jesus wants us to identify things in our hearts so that he can then set us free, because as we confess those things to the Lord, he's great to fill us with himself so that we can experience the freedom that only he can bring. So that passage, you know, how many know that as you read the Bible, things are going to come back around, that, that happens, and that's a good thing. So I was in the car, I was driving Friday, 
uh, we, we live a little bit further from the church now, so I spend a lot more time in the car. I don't usually turn the radio on. It's, it's time for me to have conversations with the Lord. And so then he just, you know, in his loving way, begins to, to poke and prod. And, and this message in particular was on my heart, even though it was a couple of weeks ago. And, and he says, you know, Zach, I love the way that you love the lost. I know that you love people who don't know me. I, I love the way that you love those who are just going after it. They, they want to see God's kingdom come. But how are you doing with those people that are they're just, they're not, not quite there yet. You know, they, they're, they're in the kingdom, but, you know, they, they just haven't done a whole lot with my gospel yet. And why does he ask those things? Because he, he knows where we're at. I said, well, God, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in that, in that one. He says, well, do you want God's kingdom to grow in you? Or are you going to have that, you know, 11 of the Pharisees growing in you? What's it going to be? And Jesus asked those questions. If he's ever asked you this question, Zach, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Zach, do you love me? I hate when he asks that question twice. <laughs> yes, God. And feed my sheep. And I mentioned this to you this morning because what God pinpointed in my life, he said, look, if you're struggling and loving others, it's usually an issue of pride in some way. If you struggle to, to love people not like you, is it because you've got some pride in your life? So I don't know if that's for you today. I am happy for God to deal with my heart, and I'm happy for that to be on display for you, because if, if you're struggling with loving others, because I had that question after that message. If I'm just struggling loving these people. Why? And Well, I don't know. Well, no. Here you go. There's the answer. Maybe there's pride going on there that, that God needs to deal with. And why does God want to deal with us? Because he wants his kingdom to grow in us. Because I can tell you in that moment in the car where I said, God, forgive me. And thank you for pointing that out. Oh, the peace that floods your soul. Because I've been anxious for a couple of weeks. And I couldn't understand why. So thank you, Lord, that we have a God that's going to point out those things in our lives. So if you're anxious today, if you're struggling with loving others, may you put that before God and experience the peace that only he can bring. Are you tracking with me this morning? Man, so as we go through scriptures, we always want to kind of circle back around to those, and let's make sure we deal with those things before we keep moving forward. Because that passage was all about receiving the kingdom, but how do we receive the kingdom? We have to respond to Jesus, and that's the message today. That's the passage we get into. We receive the kingdom by responding to Jesus. And how do we do that? There's a couple of different ways that's pointed out. The first is this. You must respond to Jesus personally. You've got to respond to Jesus personally. Uh, going back to the passage, we just read it. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. We have to respond to Jesus personally. In this passage, Jesus challenges each one of us in where we stand with God. We're to examine our hearts. Entry through the narrow door means responding personally to Jesus. That's what he's referring to. Here's what Jesus essentially says. Because you knew me, but you didn't know me. You were so familiar with me that you actually overlooked me. You spent years looking at the door, but you never walked through it. The danger of getting close but not responding is that you end up outside the table of fellowship. 
forever. We have to respond. Uh, A major point from this passage this morning is that outward contact with Jesus counts for nothing. What he desires is an inward response. Association with the church or having relatives who attend church, it's not enough. Having your name on a church membership roster, that's insufficient. God does not save us through our activity, through heredity, or by proxy. And this might be the case for some of us this morning. Your parents are Christian. Your family's Christian. Perhaps your school that you attend is Christian. You've read some of the Bible. And you would stand before Jesus in the end and say, well, I belong to you. And he would say, I don't think you do. It's a narrow door. The line is single file. You knew many who passed through, but you weren't among them. You stared at the door instead of walking through it. And so the question this morning is, do you know Jesus? That's really the whole crux of the passage. Do you love Jesus? Have you turned your life over to Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Do you worship Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, Christ, and King? Not your friends, not your family. We're not asking them. Not your school, not your community, not your group, not your relatives. You. Where are you at with Jesus? Have you passed through the narrow door of salvation? Have you received his kind invitation and responded? Uh, Some of you would say, well, I was baptized as a child, but the question is, did you consciously make that choice yourself to pass through that door? You must yourself of your own volition and will choose to pass through the narrow door. That's part of what we demonstrated here this morning. So water baptism, it doesn't save you. It's just a, a demonstration of I'm publicly confessing my faith in Jesus. The question from our passage this morning, here's what the people were asking. They were asking Jesus, will the saved be few? And in Jesus-like fashion, he flips the question. And he says, will the saved be you? This principle is fundamental in our culture that argues there are many ways to God. As if the road to heaven is a complex interstate highway system which offers dozens of routes and interchanges. I think people prefer the corn maze with lots of routes and paths as opposed to the narrow path that Jesus has given us. The door remains open individually for everyone. Here's the the most important point today. The door remains open for you. It's open for us all. It's an equal opportunity passageway with access to all who will take it. But the route is marked by God, not us. In our hearts, we may want God to take in everyone. That's not what Jesus says. He wants people to consciously enter into relationship with him, aware of their shortcomings and their need for God, their need for a savior, and that Jesus came to save us all. He wants us to respond. And some of you might say, well, this is my problem with Christianity. It's exclusive and narrow-minded. And I would say, let's look at our own hearts. We're as narrow as Jesus. Uh, He speaks of a path to salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life as a narrow path that's traversed to a narrow door. And the door is open from God to us. It's an invitation for the enemies of God. You ever consider that? Before we responded to Jesus, we were his enemies, not just undeserving, but the ill-deserving are welcomed into the kingdom in the presence of a righteous, holy, and good God. He lets everyone in. Think about that for us. 
Before you judge God, let me first point out our own hypocrisy. None of us would do this for our enemies, those who have harmed us, abused us, abandoned us, betrayed us, maligned us. Tonight, you will not leave your door open for them. Who's going to do that? Like blinking signs. All my enemies welcome here. I'm not going to do it. I can't imagine you would either. God is better than us all. He opens a door for everyone. He owes us nothing. He's opened a door. He's opened a door. Now, to be sure, it is a narrow door. And in this regard, I'm not going to lie, Christianity is exclusive. There's no salvation apart from Jesus. There's no forgiveness of sin apart from Jesus. There's no eternal life apart from Jesus. The path to salvation, the door of salvation, it is, in fact, narrow. And in that regard, it's exclusive. There's no hope for people far from God other than Jesus. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. Because if out of this message you only hear God's judgment, you will have absolutely heard it wrong. Because Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world. All are welcome to pass through the narrow door. Every one of us, the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the young and the old, every person, the simple and the wise, all are welcome into that door. Every single one. How loving is our God that he shows us the way. And he invites everyone we lived in a part of the world where you had to know certain languages to read their holy books or, or you had to you know, commit a certain amount of dollars to walk through the hoops in their faith. That is not so in Christianity. Everyone is welcome. No one is meant to be left outside. In Jesus, all are welcome. Let me say it again. In Jesus, all are welcome. But there is one door. The door is narrow. It's exclusive. You must pass through it. The door is Jesus, and he is inclusive. He invites you to walk through that door. Have you passed through it? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If not, my prayer for you is you do it today. Whatever you've been waiting for, don't wait any longer. Your life will never be the same. Peace will flood your soul and you can be confident that you're on that path, that you've walked through that door and you won't be on the outside looking in. We have to respond to Jesus personally. But how else must we respond? We must respond to Jesus before we die. We must respond to Jesus before we die. Jesus says this door, this narrow door, it divides heaven and hell. He says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Let me start here. Friends, there is a heaven. Jesus says it will be filled with feasting and laughing and blessing. What an awesome place to be. Far better than any holiday celebration you could have with your family. Eternity with God will be amazing. It's like an enormous party without sin or evil where we get to live in resurrected bodies. Who's ready for the resurrected body? I mentioned in first service, no more Pilates. And I don't do Pilates. I deadlift, right? You know, <laughs> Lord help us. We get to live in resurrected bodies. Sickness is, corrupt, uh, is conquered. Disease is destroyed. God is glorified. The nations come together 
and we live forever under the grace of a good king. There is a heaven, and there is an eternal hell. And this isn't a point for philosophical speculation. It's a fact. There's a real heaven, and there's a real hell. Jesus talks more about hell than any other person in the Bible. Maybe you don't know that. Jesus infers here in our passage today that many will not pass through. They'll die on this side of that door and stand before God to be judged for their deeds and misdeeds. They'll stand before God, either having made a decision to follow Jesus or not. And because hell is real, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should not be taking your life in Jesus lightly. You have a tremendous responsibility to tell others about him to share his good news. Too often, followers of Jesus, we've become dangerously addicted to comfort and security, numbing us to the radical urgency of the gospel. Let that not be said of us. A belief in hell should rescue our complacent hearts from the suffocating grip of passivity. We should have a passion to live on mission for Jesus every day. Why? Because hell exists. God, help us overcome our selfishness. Help us love others the way you asked us to. Followers of Jesus should live in this tension of being thrilled that we get to live with God forever. And God, I am burdened for those that don't yet know. Jesus, I'm happy, but oh Lord, help me. That's the tension we live in in this life. So even if you have passed through the narrow door, you still bear responsibility to bring others with you. Let us not forget that. Now, some of you could say, I I just, I don't believe that. I don't believe that hell exists. But we can't believe something just because we want to. We don't embrace an idea just because we want to believe it. We must believe what Jesus says and test all our assumptions against him. Let me say that again. We have to believe what Jesus says and test all our assumptions against him. A pastor frequently uh, likes to tell his congregation, look, If some guy predicts uh, his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we go with whatever that guy says. (laughs) If you're not sure about the resurrection, we'll talk more about that at Easter. But it's true. We need to see what Jesus says about these things. Jesus, our resurrected Savior, says hell is real. He says heaven is real. And at the end of the day, our feelings and wants and heartaches and desires, they're not ultimate. Only God is ultimate. And some have thought, well, God is love, and so surely he wouldn't send anyone to hell. But the problem with that line of thinking is to not recognize that God has made a way for us to avoid hell and to live in heaven eternally. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. He gave his only son. So that's why this passage, although we could say, man, that's narrow, it's actually meant to help point us in the right direction to say God is love. He gave us a map. He showed us the way. He sent his son so that we get to walk through that narrow door. And although we were enemies of God, he left the door open and said, come on in. Heaven is waiting. God is love. This morning in our song time, uh, one of our our people came up to share. They said, you know, if if you're a prodigal here today, you've turned your back on God. I've been running for a long time and you just are anxious because you don't look at God as good. Go back to that story. We're going to come to it in Luke later, I think in January. What's the story? God, your heavenly father, who is good, runs down that path after you, grabs a hold of you, and kisses your cheek, so happy that you've returned home. 
God has a heart for you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And he wants you for himself. And he showed you a path. And he opened a door. Have you walked through it? Because others have the idea, as we look at this, some have have said that I could choose Jesus, maybe not in this lifetime. But yet we see that that door closes. And when does it close? It closes at death. Because some think they'll have a second chance after death to turn to Jesus. Here's the problem with that idea. No passage in Scripture affirms that. There's no passage in Scripture that says we get a second chance after death to turn to Jesus. In fact, there's a New Testament book called Hebrews. Here's what it says. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Jesus has given us this opportunity. You have an opportunity right now. And because God loves you, he can't force you through the door. There's sometimes, as a pastor, where I just joke and feel like, isn't there a way, God, can't we, can't we force him? God says, no. Why? Because that's not love. God can't force it upon you. But he's left it open. Will you walk through it? And let me say this. You know, what if I'm wrong today? What if, what if all that I've said is, is wrong, even though I don't believe it to be? If what I've shared today is wrong, I have nothing to lose and still everything to gain. But if you would believe differently and you're wrong, you have nothing to gain and everything to lose. Where do you find yourself today? There's a narrow door which everyone is invited to walk through. But that door does close at death. Will you walk through the narrow door before you die? Will you help others walk through that door before they die? We must respond to Jesus personally before we die. Why? So that we can live eternally with him and others. We must respond to Jesus to live eternally with him and others. So let me implore you. Let me beg you. Let me, uh, let me encourage you. Don't complain about the door. Don't go searching for another door. Don't try one of the other thousands of doors that religion and ideology and philosophy would give you. Because those doors don't lead to eternal life. So don't criticize the door. Don't critique the door. Don't just stare at the door any longer. Don't walk away from the door and place your hand on the wrong knob. Don't walk through the wrong belief system. It's all a trap. It's all a lie. Instead, run. Run to Jesus. Run through the open door that's laid out in front of you. Why? Because here's what Jesus says. People will come from east and from west and from north and from south, and they will recline at the kingdom, recline at his table forever. That's the invitation we have. When you walk through the narrow door, you join Jesus and others for all eternity. Eternity is at stake today, and you've been invited to follow after God forever. We must respond to Jesus personally before we die in order to live eternally with him and others. I was reading a, a book this last week, and in it a pastor was sharing how as he goes to, to speak at a conference, they'll have a countdown clock in the back, and, and what he's imagined that to be, he just says, you know, there's times where I remind myself, you know, if, if that clock gets down to zero, and at zero I'm going to stand before God, will God be pleased with me with what I've shared. In other words, what he's saying is, God, may I be far more concerned with what you think of what is being shared than what others in that auditorium thought. 
But I was thinking about that for us this morning, an application of that. You know, if at the end of this timer that we were going to stand before God and either we've walked through the narrow door or we haven't, will you be on the outside looking in? Or will you have passed through the narrow door, joining Jesus and others for all of eternity? So how do you know? That's the question. How do you know? How do you know if you've walked through that door? If it's not enough to just having attended church or or had a family whose name was on a membership list, it's very simple. If you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you truly believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the promise in scripture is you will be saved. That's it. Have you done that? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you bearing fruit? That's what it looks like. So where do you find yourself today? Have you passed through the narrow door? Have you helped others pass through the narrow door? So we'll give an account for that too. So you need to go and you need to show others the way. Time is counting down. What decision have you made? And I really want us to consider this this morning. So as this final minute, which will probably seem like eternity, as it counts down, I want you to sit and think and ask the Lord, where am I at with you today, Jesus? Have I really surrendered my life or just been going through the motions? When that time is up, will you be on the outside looking in or will you have passed through the door and sat at the table with Jesus? Which will it be? The door is closed. Where are you? Outside the door or inside it? How have you responded to Jesus today? We're going to close in song here in a minute. But I really want us to consider this today because if if you found yourself as that clock hit zero and upon honest reflection to say, I was on the outside looking in, Lord knows we're not going to leave you there today. We want to invite you through that door. So I want to invite you to to stand as we prepare to close in song. And if you, as time ran out on that clock, found yourself anxious, found yourself without peace, you found yourself hoping that that wasn't really where the closed door happens. You've got time to make a decision. And we want you to make that today. Look, this is a weighty passage this morning. And that's okay. But may we not dismiss the weight. May we live in the tension so that we come around to God's loving heart. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. I want you to walk away knowing that today. And because he loves you, he showed you the way. He gave you a map. He sent his son who opened a door. And now your decision this morning is, will you walk through it and will you show others the way? So if you're here today and as that clock hit zero, you knew in your heart, I'm on the outside looking in. But you'd also say in the same breath, but I don't want to stay there. I want to walk through that narrow door today. With every head bowed in this room, if that's you today and you'd say, I'm walking through that door today. I'm not leaving before I do. I want you to raise your hand and we want to pray with you before you leave today. And to say, welcome, 
welcome into the kingdom. Anybody here today to say, that's me. I want to walk through that door up here in the front. Anybody else that would say, that's me. I want to walk through that door today. I want to live in the kingdom over here on the left. Anybody else that'd say, that's me. I need to be in the kingdom. I need to walk through that door. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. Over here on the right, anybody else here in the middle? Anybody else that say, that's me. I'm walking through that door today. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward this morning. So prayer team, if you could just come in the front. What we want to do as we close is, if you raise your hand today, look, the enemy is going to come against that decision because they don't want you walking through that door. But you're in a room that celebrates that decision today. Can we celebrate those that made that decision today? So if you raise your hand this morning, here's what we want you to do. We want to encourage you. We don't want to leave you alone in that decision. So we want you to pray with one of our prayer team members. They're going to give you a Bible. They're going to pray with you. They are going to help you match up with somebody in the church that says, we're going to journey with you because we're for you. We don't leave you alone in that decision. We want to help answer questions you've got. We want to come alongside you. The church is meant to be a family and we're committed to it. So as we sing, floor host, if you could help, if you raise your hand, just come on your own. Don't wait for a floor host to come find you. Just come meet with one of our prayer team members. But no matter where you're at today, as we sing, surrender yourself to God. Surrender everything to him. Let's close in song.